Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Dharma Toolkit Daily Podcast with me, Chandra Dasa, and I'm very happy to say a team today. Hooray! I'll be doing this podcast episode with my friend Dasani in Scotland, who's been with us on and off. She'll say hello in a wee minute. Yes, we hope everybody's well out there in podcast land. It's been very moving to hear people's comments and little notes on Facebook, on BuddhaCenter.com. The voices and lives behind the analytics. The whole point of this podcast is really to connect up our community around the world. Yeah, it's been very good to feel that the community is starting to come together through stories, through people's stories, through people's voices. Very diverse group of voices so far. And it'll be no different today because our theme is actually global community, global sangha. We've got two fabulous guests who jumped at the opportunity to talk about that, and we'll meet them in a second. But first, I'm going to say hello to Dasani. How are you doing today? Hi, Chandra Dasa. Hello, folks. Nice to be back again. Yes, I've been more of a listener than a participant in the podcast just the last few days. I, along with many thousands of others, was having technical issues with the massive use of this Zoom technology. So I was scurrying around in the engine room trying to make my tech work and it's great when it works. So yeah, I'm speaking to you from Glasgow in the west coast of Scotland. Yeah, nice to be back again. I'm really looking forward to speaking to a couple of guests about India. So it feels like a real treat actually to have guests from both the west coast of the United States and also from India. So let's say hello first to our friend Daya Mudra. Daya Mudra and I have known each other on and off for quite a long time. I've been very fortunate to hear firsthand from her over the years about the amazing work that she's been involved with, which has got a little Scottish connection that she might tell us about, if we're lucky. And yeah, Daya Mudra, actually, I remember we featured something on thebuddhacenter.com some years ago when she came home to the east coast of the US to do a sort of homecoming talk in her local town, which I always thought was totally fantastic that she was honoured by her local town for work that happens so far away. It's really great. Anyway, Daya Mudra was one of the first people to sign up for this podcast as soon as she saw the theme of Global Sangha. So welcome, Daya Mudra. Thanks, Chandra Dasa. Thank you for inviting us. It's so nice to be here and I'm really grateful for the technology and the chance for all of us to kind of connect from four corners of the world. Are things safe and well and stable for you in California, for your family, for your loved ones, whatever they are? Well, we've just hit our four-week mark. It's kind of astounding what's happened in the last four weeks. But four weeks ago, I said goodbye to my students and we went into remote learning. So I teach at a community college. We had about three days just to leave our offices and go home and set up our classes remotely. We're not calling it online learning because an online class takes a lot of planning and design, and this was just sort of patching together a correspondence course. So that was really heartbreaking. I really cried saying goodbye to my students, sort of knowing that it might be a while, and now it looks like it will be. And then also, you know, we had to make decisions. Aaron can tell you more, but we decided in about three days to send our students home at our academy in India. In India, they weren't getting a lot of information, and so I was sharing with Arun what I was getting here and telling him it's going to be serious. We really need to make a move. They were being told that things would be better in about two weeks. And I had a feeling that things would get crazy. So luckily, we sent our students home. And then three days later, the country went in lockdown with four hours notice. They stopped all the trains and buses. People are still walking home. So it's been stressful. There's a lot of people. I wake up in the middle of the night with a feeling like there's all these people in my room. My students are in my house, you know? <laughs> Because I just have all these people sort of in my Zoom space and in my mental space. But I also feel very blessed to have a job and to have a home to go to and a community and a practice that supports me. 
Maybe we hear a little more later from you, Damage, about what you're teaching and the sort of remote learning that you're helping facilitate. Just you evoking India is quite strong. We had a podcast the other day with the Karuna Trust and the India Dhamma Trust, and they were also just talking about the work they're trying to resource very, very quickly at very short notice in India. I'd like to welcome our second guest, somebody who I've never met before. I just met for the first time on Zoom, Arun Bode from India, who's been just incredibly generous to join us for today's conversation. Hi, Arun. How are you? Hi, Chandra Thank you for inviting us to this broadcast. I am Arun Bode from South India, from Kerala. We are running an educational charity project based on Buddhist values in the name Logutara Leadership Academy. It was very lucky. Dayamdura was saying that three days before when I was talking with her, she gave a notice what was happening in the world and things. It was helpful to me to send the students within only one day because we have students from all over Kerala, all districts in Kerala. There are 14 districts. We have students from 13 districts. So it was very stressful to send them very quickly. Within a few hours, we have to take a decision and we have to send them to their house without their parents. It took a lot of coordination, but everything very successfully happened. Now, I am also staying with my mother in house. Everybody is staying in house and not moving anywhere. But we are connecting through WhatsApp with Dayamudra. And also I am doing some Dhamma studies with Subhuti and Dayamudra reading and listening. We are trying to be creative in this crisis situation. So it is very helpful for me to be in this global Sangha. I am very lucky to be in this global Sangha. Thank you. We are very lucky to have you. Are you well? Is your mother well? Your family, have they got what they need? Yes, yes, we are well. We are well. Luckily, we, we have enough food and everything is going good. I mean, good in the sense we are well in the house and in the village. I am living in a village and village people are in the beginning days of this lockdown situation. People were not understanding what's the situation. People were not able to practice social distancing and hand washing and everything. But now people are understanding and now they are also supporting the government and the system. So now everything is quite well. It's nice to hear that you've been able to study some Dhamma online with Subuti, who's our friend here. He wrote to me about doing some of his teaching with the Indian Sangha, and he was very delighted to be able to connect with so many people. Right. Thank you. Arun and I met on a retreat that was being led by Cebu in 2007, actually, at Bordaran, which is outside of Nagpur. So he's really someone who's inspired both of us and the talks that he gave, the way that he was able to connect. We were on a retreat with about a thousand young Dalit activists from Nagaloka and the way that Subuti was able to just really inspire people of all different levels, all different backgrounds, all different ages even about Dr. Ambedkar about the Buddha and make those connections, I think is part of the foundation of our work together. Yes, for people who are listening who may not know who Subuti is, that's a very good description of him, Daimudra. He's part of the foundation of our work. He's been a senior member of the Triana Buddhist Order for many, many years, since the early 70s, and in a way helped build many of its structures and institutions. In the last few decades, he's been extremely active in India and helping support the Sangha in India, the growth of the Sangha, the deepening of our community. And he's inspired many, many people. He's got the most amazing energy. <laughs> he's unstoppable. And yeah, currently he's in his home in Wales as well. This is around about the time of year where he would be running retreats for 
well, a whole variety of different kinds of retreats for his friends in India, just basking in the Dhamma in India and really enjoying himself and really delighting other people just with his friendship and his real relish for teaching the Dhamma. And then coming back to the UK, to London and different areas where he teaches. So it's a bit of a time for Sabuti himself because he's off his usual calendar, his relationship with time, his relationship with geographical location. Well, for all of us, that's the case, isn't it? We cannot go to the places that we go to to give us meaning in our lives. And we cannot think, well, this is the weekend. I'm going to do this at the weekend. I'm going to go there at the weekend. I had this significant family or retreat event planned. We're just suspended now in this state of not knowing what comes next. And I guess the only thing that we have moving forward is imagination. And if we can tune into it, a sense of compassionately identifying with others in this situation. That's very well put. It's been one of the themes that's emerged all week in the podcast is the necessity actually for a community to engage imaginatively, for people to really bear in mind that behind the computer screen, there is a life It's a bit easier on Zoom, isn't it? Because you can see people and that's nice. But even then, it's like they're two-dimensional and they appear like a quiz show on your television. There's little panels of people. Yeah, we've been urged by various guests, actually, to really make a practice of engaging imaginatively with each other, holding each other in awareness, maybe in a way more than we normally would. And there's been a bit of a consistent wish from people that we don't go back from there when this is all over that somehow we find a way to remember that kind of practice. Let's hear actually from our guests about, well, why did you want to talk about global Sangha? What was it that kind of made you go, ah, that's a conversation I want to be in? I feel very grateful for the connections that we have in our Buddhist movement around the world. You know, Chandradas and I have been friends for a long time. I love Scotland and I got ordained in Spain. In 2005, I was on a Buddhist retreat in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and my house burned down while I was on retreat. And there was the beginning of a real shift in my life. I could really feel it. I could feel that something was shifting. And I moved into the Buddhist center in San Francisco. And I think that's when we met Chandradasa, because Chandradasa came several times as a guest. And we had our guests from India, and they invited me to come on one of the retreats, which was the beginning of this journey that we have the work that Aaron and I are collaborating on. But that space in that moment was a big shift in my life. I was able to go on a month-long retreat in Scotland at Donna which is one of my favorite places in the whole world. I've been on a few retreats there. And I just was sitting in their little library there, and I just found a book about Dr. Ambedkar by our teacher, Sangharashita. And it just cracked something open in me. This man who brought together things that I really love, this love for Buddhism, the spiritual path with social justice and a wish for humanity. A lot of people don't even know who Dr. Ambedkar is. So Ambedkar was from the community considered untouchable in his lifetime, the community that calls itself Dalit now, a caste oppressed community. And Dr. Ambedkar, he was born in 1891, died in 1956. He was really part of this very important moment in world history, early 20th century, when India became independent, so many things happening in the world. And he was able to rise above his caste situation. He was educated at Columbia University in New York. He studied with John Dewey, who was one of the fathers of 
public education in the United States, went to the London School of Economics, and then came back to India and was the chief architect of the Constitution and really committed his life to true democracy in India, inspired by Buddhism, with a vision for humanity that I find very inspiring. And I think we can see the continuation of the caste system that none of us have ever learned about Ambedkar in school. But his contribution to Indian history, to world history, his vision for humanity was just something that's really inspired my own Buddhist journey and really inspired Arun and I to create this project for young people. When I was in college, I met Ambedkar in some books. I joined the Dalit Panther movement and I worked with them and worked against this discrimination which happened with these Dalit and minority peoples. We were working there. So I read a lot about Ambedkar and I understood that he said that to annihilate caste or to eradicate this caste system and this discrimination, he embraced Buddhism. So in Kerala, in that time, there was no space or there is no way to learn about the Buddhism. I was very curious why he embraced the Buddhism. What is Buddhism? How this Buddhism eradicated caste and discrimination? These all questions were there in my mind. And that time, tsunami hit in Kerala. And I worked with one tsunami-affected area because after the tsunami, there was a lot of discrimination happening in the rehabilitation time, especially with these Dalit families. So I jumped into there and I worked with them and I fight against this discrimination. There I met one friend who was from Tamil Nadu. He gave a pamphlet and he told me that there is one institute in Maharashtra, North India, Nagaloga. There they teach Buddhism. And so I was very happy. So after that tsunami, suddenly I went to Nagpur to learn, to know why Dr. B.R. Ambedkar embraced Buddhism. What is Buddhism? So I went to Nagpur and my father and the parents, everybody was against me because they think that I am going to be a monk or I I mean, a saint or something. <laughs> My son is going to be a saint or something. That's why they were very worried. But I left home and everything and I went to Nagpur for learning Buddhism. I studied Buddhism and uh, my life has a purpose or something. And uh, now I feel it's something. I need to do something for his vision and I need to spread Buddhism. I need to do social work. So I got a glimpse about my life purpose. Luckily, I invited in Nagpur another organization called National Network of Buddhist Youth. So I went to attend their class in Nagpur in Bordaran. There I met Dayamudra. I attended her class and I told that organization I would like to bring more students from South India, especially from Kerala, because we want to spread these things in Kerala. But I told them I don't have money. If you are ready to sponsor my traveling ticket and my friend's ticket, I will bring more students from Kerala. And they agree. Then I worked in Kerala. I bring a lot of people and they attended that class. At that time, Dayamudra was sponsor our traveling expense. And I met with her and asked her, if you are ready to come down in Kerala, we will organize a program because it is very difficult to bring students from youth from Kerala to Nagpur. So if you are ready to come down in Kerala, we will organize a wonderful program in Kerala. So luckily, Dayamudra agreed. Then next year, she came to Kerala in 2009. We organized a small program with a small house. We rented a small house. Around 15 people were there. She led basic Buddhist teachings as a communicating English program. And one day she made a program for the long-term and short-term vision. I am still remembering one night. She made us to draw what's the next year program. She asked us, long-term vision after five years, what you are going to do? And we made a diagram. Next year, we told her we want to conduct the same program with 50 students, half years. 
she was very eager and she went back and i also went back to my house and i worked one year i went door to door campaigning approached parents and i asked them we can organize a program one western lady is coming and she will lead buddhist and english training it was very difficult to convince the parents but they agreed so when she came back next year we organized wonderful program with 65 students it was a big success more than 50% were girls it was a very huge success and whatever she teaches i and my friends go village to village and conduct small programs sunday programs one hour or two hour half day or full day programs buddhist programs especially meditation english training so we compared both buddhism and english so after five year we were able to start our own institute in 2014 we started one organization logutra leadership academy and we rented one house and one building in the building we provided english training in the house there was only boys students first time it was a residential training program so dayamudra developed a english curriculum for us and we run that english curriculum here and next year we build our own small hostel for boys a uh, lot of parents and students we all come together and we build by hand a wonderful hostel now our hostel can accommodate 50 students and after in third year we started a girls hostel we rented a house and a lot of girls attended our program now we have a girls community and a boys hostel and a school with a wonderful syllabus so we are providing training program for the dropout students especially from this dalit community these working people's community have no access to get a good education especially basic education they haven't any basic english education they haven't any basic mathematical education so that is why they are dropped out from the school system that's why we try to bring them and try to enhance their basic education so after our basic education program they can join back to the government education system it's amazing that that's all been built up just in a matter of years really you've moved from a chance meeting at a conference to basically a whole program of education that's now more and more ambitious and what's that been like for you Dimitra so just taking on this work from reading a book in a library at a Scottish retreat centre to doing this you can't see this dear listeners but Dimitra's sitting with a zoom background of a Pacific Northwest forest which looks a little bit like the area she was in when she found the book on Dr. Ambedkar. That's very funny. My virtual background is a picture I took up in Humboldt County, one of my favorite places in the world, the Redwood Forest. So, I think Aaron's given a good overview. You know, my first trip to India was 2007. I just imagined it as a one-off trip. So, I went to Nagpur, which is where Dr. Ambedkar converted to Buddhism, and that's where we have a very strong Buddhist movement there a international movement tree ratna has a strong presence in india and a lot of it is organized in central india in nagpur and so i was going on this retreat and then i was just going to go to kerala for a few days to go to the beach and that's where arun heard he was one of the few people there from kerala and he said oh dayamudra at the time i was am before i was ordained and so he came up and said you're going to kerala it's amazing i'm from kerala so that was really the beginning of our friendship and then as he said they all invited me to come back the next year he really wanted to bring more people from kerala so jai beam international started just to raise some money from friends and family to bring students from the south from Kerala and then from the north our friend Sachin who now lives in Mexico so this this friendship just continues and i've seen Sachin over the years in Mexico he's married and has a little boy and he leads tours in India so Sachin was organizing students in the north in Bodh Gaya so we were bringing students from the north and the south and that was the beginning of our work 
And then as Arun says, we just evolved over the years. I kept going back to Kerala just once a year leading these retreats. It started with 15 young men. And then I think this this piece of goal setting was very important. I was really inspired at the time by a book by our teacher, Sangharashta, Vision and Transformation. And I really loved this idea of vision, the importance. He really talks about being able to see what you want. Where are you going before you can lead the path? So that book was really central to my life at the time. And I was doing a lot of goal setting myself. And we did a lot of goal setting on that retreat with those 15 young men. And they said, we want you to come back next year. We want 50 students. So just how that sort of led Arun and his team literally on a path going through Kerala, on foot, on bus, going door to door, meeting with the fathers of the family, sitting down, having tea, saying, we need to educate our girls, bring your daughters. Let's bring Dr. Ambedkar's vision to life through education, through English. English is an important piece because, you know, without access to English, the Dalit community is really cut off from Indian life. So much of Indian life happens in English. The Supreme Court happens in English, medicine, business, international trade, all the different things. So English is an important piece. There's something that really strikes me from what Aaron, you've said, and just there from you as well, Diamudra, about this consistency from what was originally a few beach days to this incredible going and meeting with families and building relationships with whole families, looking at a really holistic picture of what's needed to help communities lift themselves out of this prejudice. And and it's amazing, really, just your vision from hearing about Dr. Ambedkar to taking yourselves way, way up to Nagpur and then connecting with Diamudra and building this. And it strikes me that Consistency is just such an important factor in building change, both within the individual who is inspired and then the communities that create the networks that make social change. Consistency is just key. And I feel really inspired at how you both exemplified that. It's shocking. Hooray! I love that you say that, Dustin. I think that's really true. I mean, they do say this with leaders or entrepreneurs. It's just consistency, just keeping doing it. I think that our vision was not the biggest vision or the best vision, but that we've just kept at it. And I think that something else you touched on was relationships with families. I think that when we started Jibeam International, I imagined it as a circle of friends. And that's really what it's been. You know, Arun and I spend time together. I stay at his house. His mom feeds me. When we've done fundraisers on the East Coast, my mom has fed our supporters. You know, it's real people sitting around drinking tea together. I go into families' homes. And I think one of the things that really drew me to the Dalit community is just how inspired they are, especially these activists, to give back. You know, there's this concept in Buddhism of the bodhicitta, you know, that you are just inspired to help humanity. You're inspired to, well, there's that vision of the bodhisattva of the thousand arms, and each arm has a hand, and each hand has an eye that sees what's needed, and each hand is holding a different tool. That's the vision for our Buddhist movement, our order, and just this idea of what's needed here. And I really feel that with our Dalit friends in India, that they always say, I want to give back to my community. And so our students are inspired. And over the years, they have taken our work forward and our circle of friends have grown. And now we have everybody on our team has been our student. And that's my vision that I'll be able to step back and they'll be able to take over. And they're already doing it. You know, we have an incredible team. The one part that we haven't really touched on is the team that we have on the ground at our school, the teachers and the office manager and the hostel managers. In December, I was back, you know, it's been 
12 years that we've been doing this work together. And I saw the senior students now were the next layer of leaders. And I was just so inspired. They just sort of came back. Nobody invited them. They just organized themselves. And we just saw them in the afternoon under the tree, having their own meetings. And I was thinking that when Aaron and I started, you know, I was really lucky that I had been on a lot of tree rotner retreats. So I sort of knew how a retreat was run and how a team organizes itself. And so I was training Arun and the team in that. And what I saw in December inspired me so much that these senior students, they just had meetings. You know, they didn't invite us. They didn't tell us. They just sat under a tree and they had their own meeting and they were organizing what they were going to do. And they just took the lead. We served meals outside and they built a little shelter so that the people serving the meals could be in the shade. And they decided we needed more chairs. So they brought their money together and they went to the shops and they came back with like 10 more chairs for the group. And so this inspiration, this vision, but really taking it out into the world, I think that was what inspired me about Ambedkar. And that's what I see, the spirit that I see in our Dalit friends. And it's kind of irresistible, really. Irresistible is a good word for the work that you guys are engaged in. Arun, I wonder what sort of hopes do you have for the kind of work that you've been doing? What hope do you have for its expanding in Kerala? We have students from all over Kerala and after the training, they are going by their village. So we hope that our students will be able to run their own leadership, learning communities in their village. So after our training, students will be able to support their younger students. What Dr. Ambedkar said that we need examples. As a Dalit community, we have good examples. That's why the problem. So we need more examples. In that view, we are trying to make our students as an example. So we need to expand this community in their own village. That's our vision. So that will be very helpful for all Kerala and our villages and these Dalit communities and their society and how they can contribute for self and social transformation. We want to support them to lead their communities, their villages, their families and become a good leader and examples. Some students come from very rural areas, from tribal communities. So they need a good examples. So this is our vision. And this is happening organically already. Arun had an invitation from one of our students and she said, I'm going to lead a little class for the children in my village. I'd like you to come. And it was a very, very remote village with a little tiny, you can't really call it a town square, sort of an area in the middle that was under the trees, but it's dirt. And she brought chairs from all the houses in the village and she got some glasses from all the houses and she made lemonade and she lined up the chairs and she set up a board and she basically had Arun, he thought he was coming as the guest speaker, but she wanted him just to witness and she just gave a lesson and then she served everybody lemonade. And one of the most powerful things about that was that the moms in the village were sitting. And when I saw a picture, they were sitting and just really enjoying what was happening, which was a big shift because at the beginning of our work, the moms were quite worried. And one of the real struggles that we've had is educating girls. It's very complicated to educate girls in a community where women are very oppressed. You know, worldwide, the status of women in India is really at the bottom around the world. And so educating girls is very important. That was Dr. Ambedkar's vision. He was really a feminist way back. And his vision for women and women's education was really far ahead of anything happening in the United States. But educating girls is very difficult because they're very vulnerable. And so we've really made it our priority to include girls in our work. And the moms were really resistant at the beginning, which makes sense because they were very protective. But now the moms really understand what we're doing and they're really joining us. And really without their support, we wouldn't be very successful. And so it's just very exciting to see that as well. So 
Arun's vision is happening organically, and I think there's a lot of space for it to expand even more. Arun gave the history of our program, and now we have a hostel. We have 30 students that live with us. We have boys and girls have all dropped out. Right now, in the middle of this COVID crisis, we've sent them home. So we are really quite worried about our students. They live in remote areas without sanitation, without running water, and we are keeping in contact with them. So I guess we would just like for people to stay connected with us to sort of hear from the ground how things are happening for these families. And our hope is that the students can come back and continue their education. But, you know, there is this digital divide and our students don't have Wi-Fi, so we're not able to continue teaching them. Their education has been interrupted now. So that's quite worrying. One of the things that we're going to start to do is this is a very particular moment in terms of emergency relief that we're not really set up to provide emergency relief. Everyone's really afraid to go out in the field and just help people. And so we're trying to do what we can right now to stay connected with the families that we serve and do health education through the tools that we have. You know, they don't have Zoom in their villages, but they have WhatsApp on their phones. And so one of the things that we're thinking about is how can we do sort of a phone tree, like real 1970s old school phone tree, where we connect with maybe 10 families, and then those students connect with five more families, and maybe spreading public health that way. So very low tech, actually, is what we're looking at right now. But, you know, we're struggling too, just trying to figure out how to make impact. And then I guess the other thing is that we do have friends in Mumbai, our friends Nabia and Selvan, and they are on the ground in Dharavi in the slums where we're really worried about the COVID virus spreading in these slums because people are living so close together. They don't have access to running water. A lot of them don't have food. So we're helping Selvan and Nabia on the ground bring food bring soap, bring masks to these families in the slums. You might have seen Slumdog Millionaire. It's that slum in Dharavi and their families, you know, 100 people sharing one bathroom, no running water, very little access to soap or, you know, proper sanitation. So these are some of the things that we're doing. If people want to stay connected with us, these are some of the practical things that we're doing to serve some of the most marginalized people in the world, actually. And if the disease starts to spread among this community, it's going to be, it's going to be a crisis for humanity. And Diamudra, I saw that you shared on the Jai Bim Facebook page about the situation in Dharavi, and I was really grateful to see that. And I also noticed that you'd shared about the incredible community kitchen work that's been happening in Kerala with the local Keralans off their own bat just feeding each other. That's true. And I think the situation in India is quite dire, but the state of Kerala is quite exemplary. So we're hoping that the other states can follow Kerala's example. And I think Kerala has a very good history of taking care of its people. And so right now, the families that we serve are fine and the situation is fine, but we just don't know what's going to happen. And so we're really just trying to stay grounded in the present and trying not to get overwhelmed by anxiety, right? And fear. I think, you know, sitting with the first Buddhist principle of dukkha, you know, of suffering, this is incredible suffering. And so how do we face that without shutting down, without feeling powerless? It's a great question. It's been coming up regularly through all these conversations. Just as human beings, how do we meet fear and the sorrow, the grief, etc.? And the tools we have at our disposal are not always adequate. Listening to you, Diamudra and Aaron, just there's so much kind of, I suppose, love behind what you're doing and so much of a sense of that imaginative connection that we talked about at the start, that manifesting in real life, manifesting conditions. 
and the creativity working around technology. I love the idea of there being a phone tree in a village in Kerala, just connecting up these very diverse parts of our global community in Triratna and in the Buddhist world. So thanks very much for turning up today to make our conversation about global Sangha a bit more real, a bit more grounded in what it's actually like. Yeah, so thanks very much to you, Arun, for taking time out in your day and your evening, in fact, to talk to us. Thank you, thank you, Philip. We hope you and your family and all the people in the village stay well. Yeah, we'll be holding you in mind. And thanks thank for you. all you do. We really are grateful to the Buddhist Center Online and so many of our friends in India listen to the podcast that you put out. And right now we're studying about the Bodhisattva together. We're doing Dharma study using these podcasts. So the impact that you've had, you've also had this vision and have just been consistent with it. So we are very, very grateful to you. Uh, thank you. We are all in this Buddha studio. It's very helpful, very, very helpful for me, especially like uh, we are remote. So if we want to attend any Dharma retreat, we have to go north. That's very distance. Thank you very much, Arun. It's nice to hear that it's being used in India still. All our friends in India are always so lovely about it. And actually many, many of the talks now come from India and not just from Western Order members going to India, but from Dhammacharis, sometimes Dhammamitras in India, just talking about their lives, talking about their experience, which is always great. And thanks to you too, Dhammudra, for just everything you do, quietly, steadily, patiently, beautifully in the background. It's always nice when Jebim International pops up on the Buddhist Centre Online. So it was a delight to hear what you're up to, to see the new kind of shoots from this amazing work that you seeded all those years ago. Thanks, Chandra Dasa. And thanks, Dasani. It was really nice to meet you for the first time. Uh, thank you. Yes, thanks, Dasani, for joining us on the team again today. I have to say, it's very nice not being on my own in these conversations. It makes me feel slightly less late night television than I would otherwise. Uh, you're the host with the most, Chandra Dasa. <laughs> I've just got a final thought, really, which is just how, gosh, Aaron and Diamidra, I'm almost speechless, but really never speechless. But this conversation feels like an exemplification of why giving the Dharma is the highest gift. It's really obvious that this is what you do. I talked about consistency, consistency and intensity. That's what creates change. And you're really exemplifying how in India, the emancipation of the community and the emancipation of the individual are completely the same movement. So thank you, both of you. I feel really grateful for that reminder. Thank you. Thank you. So yes, thank you very much. It's true, the gift of the Dharma, just changing lives, not something dry, dusty and abstract, but something that's radical, revolutionary, changes the world one person at a time. We hope wherever you are, wherever your lockdown, shutdown life looks like, you're feeling some sort of connection with that spirit of the Dharma in your own life, in your own community, and that in a way you will carry it forward as a little flame of fire whenever all this ends and you go and talk to your friends, you talk to your families, you talk to your work colleagues, etc. Just taking the Dharma out into society and making a difference with it. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being more than just an audience, part of a community. And we look forward to seeing you again soon. You can continue to meditate with us every day, if you like, during the week at thebuddhacenter.com slash toolkit. You'll find the online meditation times there. We've just finished our home retreat, first one on sailing the worldly winds. We're going to leave all that material up for you so you can do it whenever you like. And in a couple of weeks time, there'll be a new one, a new home retreat will start looking at the cultivation of positive emotion. 
which I'm pretty sure everybody's going to need at some point soon, if the novelty of this hasn't worn off already. And we'll continue to bring you some great Dharma online, some great evocations of community in these podcasts and on the community toolkit space, if you want to connect with us there and share what's keeping you going, what's inspiring you with the Dharma. Yeah, so we look forward to seeing you soon. Hope you stay safe and well. Bye for now.